This is Grace Talks, a production of Simpson United Methodist Church in Bangor, Michigan. Our scripture reading for this morning is from the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, verses 1 through 8 and 15 through 16. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison, and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexual immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way life, their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that open profess, openly profess His name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing to you, God, our Lord and Savior. Amen. A few weeks ago, I made a comment in a sermon that said that when it comes to preaching, there's a degree of responsibility that one undertakes. A preacher should always work to be aware of themselves, aware of their biases and thoughts that might come with them when we read Scripture. We should work to ensure that we explain things clearly. We should always be coming to Scripture with the whole of the narrative in mind and the knowledge that we need to be especially cautious when it comes to certain texts. There are some texts, after all, that have been used historically to do harm to people. In the same way that I spoke about responsibility when it comes to preaching, I also made a joke about my non-existent degree in Hebrew, a joke that I'll continue to make whenever it comes time to try to break down a word from the Old Testament or Greek in the New. Well, so too, just as I have to reference a fake Hebrew degree, so too do I have to reference a fake history degree. 
when it comes to preaching, there's a certain need to embrace that saying that we are to be jack of all trades, master of none. But what's worth noting is that that phrase has an ending that's usually left out. Jack of all trades, master of none, but oftentimes better, a master master of one. As a preacher, what this means is that we have to dabble in understanding Scripture from both current and ancient contexts. I have to dabble in history so as to better understand and see how Scripture has been used and how Christian communities have thrived or fallen over the centuries. I have to dabble with my actual English degree and look for themes from a literary standpoint. I have to look at things like psychology and philosophy and sociology and science and biology, and even at times a little bit of my least favorite subject, math. And to top it all off, if that's not enough, if that's not enough to make me go a little bald, then I have to determine the best way to communicate the message that I want to preach preach to you all. Now, once again, I say this not to try to intimidate anyone or show off how much of a smarty pants I am, though I'm no, I have no doubt that if Ellen were here today, she would be shaking her head because I'm making it sound like I'm just so, so much smarter than the rest of you, which I'm not. I say all this because I want to emphasize what it means to try to assemble one of these sermons, and likewise because I want to communicate the knowledge that everything about who we are, everything about what we do, is the product of not merely ourselves, but rather the whole of the human experience, the whole of human knowledge standing behind us. We will often hear it said in our day and age that we need to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, as though we need to support ourselves fully and independently, that we exist on our own. But the thing about pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps and the joke that that saying is meant to communicate is that you can't. It is quite literally impossible to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. And that, when that phrase first came about, was the joke. The only reason that we are here, the only reason that we think the way we do, the only reason that we understand what I'm saying today, or the only reason that I'm speaking in the way I'm speaking today, is because of this vast expanse of human experience, knowledge, and tradition that stands behind us. We are the product of thousands of years of humans finding their way in the world. Nothing we do, nothing we write or make or sing or speak is the product of ourselves. It is the product of centuries upon millennia upon millennia of humans pouring themselves into us. We owe this great amount of debt to society and to our ancestors, a debt that we can never fully pay off. And I say this not as though it's a bad thing. I say this 
as a good thing, as something that should be liberating. Because what this should do is it should cause us to realize just how connected we are. Just how much we need one another. Churches exist for the same reason that communities and towns and cities and groups in general exist because, quite frankly, we need each other. It's a part of our basic programming as human beings. We need one another. We are connected in so many ways. We are one. We are one people. Scripture tells us this time and time again. We are one body, one people, united in one baptism. We are all connected to each other. What is good for one part of the body is good for the whole of the body. And what is bad for one part of the body is bad for the whole of the body. If one part suffers, the rest suffer with it. And this brings me full circle to the text we read today. In our text, we have an author who gives us a number of commands. Love one another as siblings. Show hospitality to strangers. Remember those in prison as though you yourself are in prison. Remember the oppressed as though you yourself are repressed. Honor marriage. Reject the love of money. Be content in what you have. Consider your leaders and remember that they too are human. In so many ways, this is what I was referring to with my lead in to this message, and this is what I'm referring to when I take us back to the name and the subject of this sermon today, the, the name being mutual aid. When we think back to the origins of the church, when we think back to the origins of Judaism before it, when we think back to human existence as a whole, we have to understand the context the time and place that the people who wrote these words were living in. Because there was a degree to which these people were writing and living in a world where it was understood that we were more about who we are as a group than who we are as individuals. This, is, this was a worldview that saw ourselves not through the lens of individualism, but more through the lens of togetherness. When it comes to the vastness of human history, the whole concept of individualism, of me being the most important person in the world, is a relatively new invention. For so much of human existence, we saw ourselves as units, within the whole. Which is not to say that we were not important in how we viewed ourselves. Rather, it was acknowledging just how important we are because we exist as a part of something bigger. Each part is vitally important, but no part can exist independently. No man is an island, to use another phrase. 
In this view, the best method of supporting the individual is supporting the whole. So why am I referring to this sermon as mutual aid and why am I devoting this entire sermon to this idea? Why am I taking us through this grand lesson of human history? Why am I so focused on us as a whole rather than us as individuals? And what does that have to do with the sermon and the scripture today? Simply put, mutual aid is this idea where we share and pool our resources in a way that benefits everyone within a community. It's this act of holding things in what might be referred to as the common. It is sharing. It is sharing money, sharing resources, sharing food, water, supplies, sharing tools and knowledge, sharing ourselves with one another. For so much of human existence, this is how we functioned as people. Society was founded not on trade, but on gifting one another what we needed. On each person and each family taking what it was they needed and providing for others with the excess of what they produced. For so much of human history, for so much of society's history, we existed in this space of, if you need an egg, the town chicken farmer will give you an egg. And likewise, if someone else needs a tomato, you have a garden of tomatoes, you provide tomatoes. If the kids need to be educated, the teacher in the community will help educate the kids. If you're in the desert and you find manna growing on the ground, you gather what you need. When we look to the fellowship of believers in Acts chapter 2, mutual aid is what we find. As the text says, as the text says there in Acts chapter 2, quote, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need, and every day they continued to meet together in temple courts. They broke bread and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. It was a mutual sharing, and for so much of our history, it worked. It was a system where people had what they needed. Which is not to say it was perfect. After all, we've never gotten it completely right. But it seems as though in our day and age, it seems as though we have plenty of what we don't need and we struggle to get what we do. We have this tendency that says we are to always want more. We are drowning, it seems, in resources today, drowning in money, drowning in property, drowning in stuff, and yet because of the fast pace of the world, it never seems to be enough. because of how we've been 
raised, because of how we've been brought up, because of how our minds have been formed, we always want more. I know I'm young to say this, but my expectation of the world today is a little more cynical than I would like it to be. I guess that's part of being a millennial. I feel a little less hopeful for the world. And yet in the midst of that, my hopes for community has only grown. Whereas my hopes for the world, so to speak, as a whole has come to dwindle, my hopes for smaller communities is growing. I think we're realizing collectively that things can't really stay the same. Things have to change. We have to be more compassionate. We have to be more sharing. We have to be more rooted in one another. We have to be more rooted in love. If we just try to exist on our own, purely on our own terms, then inevitably we will fail. But if we live into a model of this idea of what has been known for a long while as mutual aid, then I think we can find ourselves in a place that's more holy, a place that is more full. We can live lives that are filled with abundance and filled with enough, lives rooted in providing for our neighbor, not just, in, not just on our terms, but theirs. Ellen and I have come to have dreams, fantasies maybe, of owning our own home and property one day. Of owning a space where we might build a farm of sorts. Where we can live in a community with those around us. But what I've come to realize, what we've come to realize is that some of the dreams that we have are just too big. Some of them require a scaling back on our side and a sharing of responsibility. And quite honestly, that's probably a good thing. Quite honestly, that's probably how it should be and what needs to happen. When we look to Paul, when he spoke of how the church was to arrange itself, he spoke of how some were called to be prophets, some were called to be preachers, some were called to be teachers, some were called to be any number of things. We shouldn't have to live with this idea that we need to be everything Because the entire idea of living in community is knowing that we share the responsibility with one another. I would love to be able to go on blacksmithing and preaching and keeping bees and gardening and do all of these other things that I really want to do, but just because I am a bit of a jack-of-all-trades doesn't mean I have to be a jack-of-all-trades. There are things I should share in responsibility with. 
I would love to raise bees and have my own honey, but what would be better? Me just taking on another hobby that I can devote only a small amount of time to, or connecting with someone else who raises, who raises bees and sharing. Sharing things that I make and produce and create and receiving in return. My dream for Bangor, my dream for this community, my dream for every community really is the ability to drive down the street and see gardens in every yard. Every home growing their own food and every street having a cornucopia of options. But everybody doesn't have to grow the same food. We can grow tomatoes and cucumbers and melons and so many other things, and we can share with one another. I'll keep dragging Kim into this. Since there's more than a few tomatoes ready to go, and more than a few zucchinis that's found their way into my and other people's vehicles. <laughs> I think in so many ways we're already practicing a version of this, and I look forward, I hope for the day when this can be more of what we do. each person sharing in the responsibility of one another, each person living as both uniquely and fully themselves, but also as part of the whole. To tie this all up and to bring it back to Scripture, the Scripture that we read today, maybe it would be best if we were to consider each other siblings in ways we haven't before. Who, when their brother asks them for bread, demands their brother pay for it? Or do we share what we have and expect little in return? I hope and I yearn and I look forward to a day when we look at each other as siblings in ways we have not always done as one people united in God. And honestly, this to me doesn't even mean that we all believe in the same God. One of the kids, one of the girls that will be coming to us is a practicing Muslim. Hmm? My job is not to make her a Christian. My job is to love this person that comes into our home. It doesn't mean we all come to church, come to the same church on a Sunday. It means that we share in this life together. We share in this human experience together. We love and we share and we are there for one another.
what is the greatest commandment? I can stand here all day. <laughs> Love one another. Love one another. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and love your neighbor as you love yourself. And the golden rule is like it. Treat others the way you want to be treated. And it's a strange thing that we've been standing here pastor after pastor after preacher after priest for 2,000 years and so long before it, and we've all been saying some variation of that same message time and time again for 2,000 years and so many years before it. Love each other as you've loved yourself. Love each other as you love God. Love each other as you know God loves you. And if that can't change the world, I don't know what can. And so in the end, we live with the hope of seeing shalom, of seeing wholeness, of seeing God's kingdom come, God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.